hit record and we'll get started. So thank you, first of all, everybody for joining us this uh, afternoon or morning, wherever you happen to be. I'm Michelle Morris from Consolidated Planning Group. Uh, we have a great webinar planned for you today. If you haven't seen any of our webinars in the past, I'll just kind of quickly go over a few housekeeping items. Um, we cannot see you or hear you, but we know that you're out there because we can see the participant um, numbers going up as you come in and get settled. Um, so please, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to put those in the chat. We don't mind at all. We will get to as many of your questions as we can. Um, and I find that that's a really good way for us to make sure that we share all of the information is if you ask your questions in chat. So I'll, I'll be monitoring that and letting um, letting Emily know when, when we have questions. Um, if you are listening on our podcast and you would like a copy of these slides, you can send us an email, contact at cpgcares.net. This webinar is being recorded. And after we're finished, we will send you a link to that recording and we will send you the slides. So everybody who has registered will get that. And I might mention it several times because people always ask throughout the webinar um, about those things. So without any further ado, let's talk a little bit about uh, Consolidated Planning Group and who we are and why we're here. Uh, if you'll go to the next slide, please, Emily. Um, we are a special needs financial planning firm. Uh, we're focused on families who have a loved one that will need care probably for the rest of their lives. And you don't want to jeopardize your federal or state benefits. And how do you, how do, you do all that? How do you plan for your retirement and your spouse's retirement and a third bucket of money to take care of somebody who might need help for the rest of their lives, you know, if they can't find or keep a job or can't work at all, um, what happens? So we help with those things. We are based in Houston, Texas, and we serve families all across Texas and all across the United States. We have over 30 years of experience with insurance and investments um, and financial services. We're members of the uh, Special Needs Planning Academy. We are also National Social Security Advisors, so we can help you unravel your social security benefits. And we're members of the Million Dollar Roundtable, which just means that a lot of families trust us to um, be, be stewards of their, uh, their money, you know. So we're an advisory and consulting firm. We're independent, don't work for any larger company, uh, we do have a broker-dealer above us, but we make sure that we're not bound to represent only one company. So on the next slide, you'll see that um, we help families with protection plans, lifetime care plans, um, you know, figuring out how much is it going to cost to pay for the care for my loved one for the rest of their life. Uh, the transition planning, what happens when they turn 18 and they're suddenly adults in the eyes of the law. There's a lot that changes right at that time frame. Um, we help with ABLE accounts and, of course, advocacy and education because the owner of our company, Allison, 
has uh, her and her husband together have four kids and two of them have disabilities. And that's what brought us to this um, to this place where we want to help and educate and where we don't want it to be as difficult for you as it was when Allison went through all these things. You know, if you look at financial advisors across the United States, um, we do everything that a traditional financial financial planner or financial advisor would, but there are 263,000 financial advisors across the U.S. and fewer than 200 of those, not 200,000, but 200 financial advisors across the U.S. focus on special needs planning. That is fewer than one-tenth of a percent of all the financial advisors in the United States that focus on special needs planning. So you are definitely in the right place. And if you have questions, we can help you find answers. On the next slide, just my last slide, and then we'll let Emily take over. Um, this is what keeps people awake at night. Who is going to take care of my loved one when I am gone or I can no longer take care of them? And quick and dirty, this is our advice on that subject. First of all, develop a future care plan early because when you do things earlier, you have a longer time to make a difference. You know, um, interest accrues and uh, you're younger and healthier. You can get lower pricing on life insurance and things like that that are going to help. It's just way better to start as soon as possible. We want you to consider what is going to happen after high school ends and your child is thrown out into the, the real world, so to speak. There are great options options out there, educational, vocational options, transition programs, day programs, residential communities that, that are really doing great things with these young adults. Um, and, and you should consider touring those programs and thinking about those opportunities early because there might be a wait list. We would hate for you to find the right place and then find out that there's a lengthy wait time. And finally, we want to say, make careful considerations when you're thinking about siblings and how they will participate in the caregiving. And that's what we're here to talk about today, really, with Emily, is um, how siblings play a role. So, Emily, on the next slide, I think it's your slide. So that's what, what we're going to talk about is the family approach. So, again, you will all receive a copy of this webinar. Um, later on today and all of these slides. Anything that is a link on the slide will be clickable when you get it. And Emily, if you wanna go ahead and take over, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks so much, Michelle. And thanks to Consolidated Planning Group for inviting me to be here today. Um, future planning is one of my favorite topics, uh, uh, both personally and professionally. And it's really, really important that we consider using a family approach when we, when we talk about future planning for a loved one with support needs. I'm curious to know, because we can't see you, as Michelle said, um, who, who we have in the audience here, but also um, I would like for you to tell us in the chat by a yes, a no, or a sort of, okay, or somewhat, um, have you started the future planning process 
And this is a two part, so it has to be yes to both of these things. Have you started future planning and have you started to do that as a whole family? So including your child with a disability, including any siblings who might be um, in the family and, oh, we're getting some sort of, yes, yes. Okay, that's great. Um, and maybe even, you know, we're, we're gonna talk about other people who you might wanna include in that planning process. Um, someone is a yes, no. So that, that's, that tells me that's a sort of, yes, sort of, no, but we would love to start. Okay, I love hearing this and I love seeing this in the chat. Um, and no, not yet. I love that word yet, right? Because hopefully after today's talk, you'll be inspired to start that conversation with your family. First, I'd like to share a little bit about me. Um, so I am the lucky person who gets to be the director of the Sibling Support Project. My name is Emily Hall and my professional training is as a social worker. I worked for many years at a large disability service provider in New York City. And there I was able to sort of start the journey uh, of thinking about and working with siblings. Uh, and that includes contributing to some of the books that were uh, created by the Sibling Support Project. But really my greatest qualification for this job is that I'm also a sibling. And this is honestly, this slide is just an excuse to show you a picture of me and my brother, Peter. Aww. He is two years older than I am and he has an intellectual disability and he lives in New York. Um, I am located across the country, right outside of Seattle, Washington. And so I am Peter's uh, caregiver from a distance. And I'll tell you a little bit about my own journey in a few minutes. Um, but that picture, by the way, was taken in 2010 at the White House when we attended for the 20th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. So that was a really fun and special thing that we got to do together. And um, when I talk with you about future planning, um, I, I speak with you as a professional who has offered um, future planning workshops to families um, in different parts of the country for many years. And also as a sibling who has gone through the process of future planning with my own family. And I will share the story with you that uh, a number of years ago, uh, when Peter was living at home with our parents outside of Boston, Massachusetts, I was living in New York City. Um, Peter would come and visit me sometimes on weekends, and he's able to take public transportation independently as long as there's someone on each side of that journey, right, to greet him or send him off. And so, um, our mom became ill and actually wound up in the hospital. She was fine after that. But while she was in the hospital, Peter called me from Massachusetts and he called me. I was in New York and he said, you know what, Emily, now that mom's in the hospital, I was just thinking when mom and dad die, I can't stay in this house by myself. And I thought, oh, we're having that conversation, I guess. And I was so grateful, really, that Peter brought this up because he really was the person who drove the future planning process in our house and in our family. And because of that, we were able to start the future planning process and, um, and put supports in place that now several years later, um, close to 15 years later, uh, our family picture looks very different. Peter no longer lives at home with our parents. In fact, both of our parents have passed. 
And Peter uh, lives in New York with a very good services and support system around him. Uh, and I am his caregiver from afar. Um, but that was a process that took many years. And remember, I worked in the service system, right? I worked for a large disability service provider. So if I had questions about what form I needed to fill out or what kind of documentation I needed to get Peter's services, I could just walk down the hall to my colleague and ask questions, right? Um, and even still with all that support, it was really, really daunting and difficult to go through that process. So that is why I'm so passionate about helping other families start that process and making sure that siblings are included. And we're gonna talk about why. Um, if you're not familiar with the Sibling Support Project, as I mentioned, we're located right outside of Seattle in Washington State. We're a program of kindering, which is Washington State's most comprehensive neurodevelopmental center. And um, we've been around since 1990. Uh, we're actually the first national program in the entire country dedicated entirely to supporting siblings of people with developmental health and mental health concerns. And we do our work in a few different ways. First of all, through our books and publications that we're very proud of. A lot of our books are written not just for siblings, but by siblings. We also offer um, direct support through our workshops, including future planning workshops, um, our Facebook groups. If you are a sibling or if you have siblings in your family who are adults, teens, or in their 20s, we encourage you to check out our Facebook groups, SibNet, SibTeen, and Sib20. That's 24-7 community and support for siblings. Um, and then we are also probably best known for uh, starting these amazing things for school-age children called Sib Shops. Um, so school-age siblings um, who have brothers and sisters with support needs. Sib Shops exist. There are about 500 around the world, um, hopefully a lot in Texas. And those are really, really great ways for younger SIDS to get support. So I wanna back up for a second and, and think about why, why I was invited to speak today, right? Why should we be thinking about involving siblings in future planning? And some of you have already started that conversation and said, yes, we've started future planning. And yes, our other children are involved in that conversation. Some of you are on the maybe sorta kind of um, scale, right? And some of you are, are have not started at all. So when we think about siblings and the important roles they play in families, there are a few considerations I want you to keep in mind as we're talking about why it's important to involve siblings in planning for the future of your loved one. The first is that we know from the research that siblings' experiences really do parallel parents' experiences, and that anything that we can say about being the parent of a child with support needs, we can pretty much put ditto marks on for siblings, okay? Um, siblings have many, if not most, of the same concerns as parents, as well as unique concerns and opportunities of their own. The second reason that we wanna make sure that siblings are part of our future planning is that sibling issues are really lifespan issues, okay? Think about this. These siblings will be in the lives of the person with the disability longer than anyone, right? Definitely longer than any service provider and probably longer really even than us parents, okay? This is a relationship that can easily exceed 65, 70, 75 years, which is a long, long time. 
So sibling issues really, you know, evolve and change over the course of the lifespan of the person and the family. Um, as your family grows and evolves and changes, right? Siblings are growing and evolving and changing right along with you. Um, and as you're planning for the future, that's a really important thing to keep in mind. Siblings spend quantity time. So over the course of the lifespan, siblings spend a great deal of time together, okay? We know this from the research, especially at the beginning stages of life and again in the later years, right? It's well documented that siblings have a high level of involvement with one another. Siblings also spend quality time. And by this, I'm talking about the fact that siblings really are 24-7 social models for the child with a disability, aren't they? Right, as wonderful as inclusive classrooms are, if they're supported well, there's no classmate who's gonna have as great an impact on the social development of a child with a disability as his or her siblings, right? 24-7 social models. And then finally, one of the most important reasons we're here today is to, to really recognize that siblings are the next generation of caregivers. If we look at some statistics, we can kind of paint a picture of what this looks like, right? Um, in the United States, more than 75% of adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities live at home with family supporters, presumably parents, right? More than 25% of whom are age 60 or older. By 2030, in less than, less than 10 years, the number of people with IDD who themselves will be age 60 or older is expected to reach 1.5 million. However, very few of these folks are receiving any kind of long-term services and support outside of the home, only 17% in 2016. Um, and so what we're seeing kind of paints a fragile picture, doesn't it, right? And some of you are living this picture. This is the picture of your life because we have aging parents, we have the person with a disability really relying on those parents for support. And we're seeing that as parents become less available to care for their adult children, and, and as parents also pass away, siblings often assume those caregiving roles for their brothers and sisters. I wanna share a quote with you from a sibling in our adult sibling group called Sibnet, um, who uh, really, I think, personalizes this picture in a very vivid way. Uh, this was from, she posted this last April and she wrote, my mother just passed away after a year long battle with cancer and my father passed a while ago. I am now my 39 year old brother's caregiver. He lived at home with her and has never lived on his own. He has no supports in place. I don't even have all of his official diagnosis information. My first questions are related to a trust my parents set up for him. I meet with a lawyer next week. I'm doing research to be prepared. I just wanna do what's best for him as well as not get taken advantage of for lack of knowledge, okay? And now JF's parents did a lot of things right, right? They set up a, a special trust for her brother, but they didn't talk with her about it. They didn't give her that information, right? They didn't pass the baton as that next generation of caregivers. And so, Unfortunately, this is a scenario that happens quite frequently. And I think a lot of the reason that we don't have better future planning as, as a families um, and for siblings to participate in is because let's be honest, there are really a lot of barriers to future planning, right? So one, it's kind of hard to think about a time when I'm no longer here, right? Like that's not a fun, family conversation that I want to have on a Thursday night. Do you? 
Of course not. That, that is a scary thing to think about. But for our families especially, it's so important that we do not only think about this time, but also talk about it. Um, it's complicated, isn't it? To navigate those legal, financial, and other systems of care. Remember I told you in my future planning journey, I had a lot of help and it was still really, really hard, right? Um, because first of all, these systems are complex and also they're always changing, aren't they? Just when we think we figured it out, they change a law or they change a rule or they change a requirement. Um, also think about family dynamics. Who can relate to this one? What if we all want different things, right? I'll tell you a story that when we started our, our future planning um, process, uh, we sat down as a family and I will tell you candidly, I had assumed for most of my life that at some point Peter would live with me, right? That was just the idea that I carried around with me for close to 30 years, right? Um, maybe even a little bit longer by the time we had this conversation. And when we sat down as a family, guess what? My brother, darling Peter, um, very nicely, but very like clearly said, well, no offense, sis, but I don't want to live with you. <laughs> right. And this just blew my socks off because I had no idea that he felt that way. We had never sat down and talked about it. Um, so we had different visions, right, um, of what was going to happen. And then my parents had their ideas. Our parents had their ideas about what was going to happen. So we had a lot to navigate and talk about. Okay. Um, and then also, I think one of the scary thoughts is I'm going to put this future plan in place and I'm going to put it on the shelf and maybe I'll dust it off every now and then just to make sure it's still there. But it feels really final, doesn't it? Right. When plans seem set in stone. And when we talk with families about future planning, we really emphasize that future planning should be flexible and fun and fluid. I know fun might be a stretch, but bear with me. I do think it can be fun. Um, but at the very on, least, it's, it depends on your idea of fun, Emily. It depends on your idea of fun. We have ways of making, you know, we work with kids all the time. So we have ways of making things fun. You just wait. Um, but, you know, when we think about planning for the future, we think that we, we realize that we have to be flexible, don't we? Because let's think about this one. All of us had plans for 2020, didn't we? <laughs> big plans. I had big plans for 2020. And then guess what? The universe, the universe had other ideas and we had to adapt. And so when we work with families on future planning, we want to make sure that families understand that guess what? Life is going to change and your plans will change. But if you have some really good tools in place and if you have good open communication and the planning for the future is just another conversation that we have as a family sometimes when we need to. It's a lot less daunting, a lot less scary. Another thing that we ask families to do, which is so, so important at the beginning of the future planning process is to really name the dream and the nightmare, okay? Name your dream scenario for your loved one with a disability. Sky's the limit. What is your absolute dream in a perfect world, right? When you are gone, what do you want for your child? right? What does that look like? And we encourage families to dream big, right? Sky's the limit here. We also want you to identify the nightmare, equally important. What is the worst possible case scenario that you can imagine 
being an outcome for your loved one. Because here's the important thing about future planning. It's a process, right? And we want to take every possible step we can to put plans in place that will get us closer to that dream, right? Closer to that vision of the dream and as far away from that nightmare as possible. Okay. Emily, I have a quick question. Um, At what age do you think that it's appropriate to start this to where you're not, you know, going to terrify them with that nightmare, terrify the siblings or, or your child with a disability or, you know, put unrealistic dreams in their head either? Absolutely. It's a great question. And we really encourage families to start early. Um, Maybe not with like with young children, Um, We want future planning to be about talking as a whole family about the next transition step. So maybe it's that, you know, my child is starting a new year of school. You know, we take the semi-radical stance that siblings should be invited to participate in IEP meetings, right? Maybe not, maybe not to be present at the meeting, you know, if they can't. Um, and definitely not obligated, right? You're coming with us, you're gonna be part of this meeting, but invited to participate, to share their ideas. Hey, your brother's going into a new year of school next year. What do you think some of his strengths are, right? That his teachers should be aware of. And where are some areas you think your brother could use some supports, right? Because his sibling might say, oh, well, you know, he doesn't talk, he doesn't use language, but he can draw pictures to tell us what he wants. He's really good at drawing right? Or siblings might say, um, you know, he gets really frustrated sometimes when he can't express what he wants. Teachers should know that. Um, And then, you know, as we progress, maybe it's a bigger transition, right? From elementary to middle school, from middle school to high school. And then maybe once the child is aging out of school altogether, right? Aging out of special education, moving into the adult system world, um, the adult services world, sorry. We want siblings to be part of those conversations so that when we think about and talk about the future, it's not this big looming unknown thing. It's like the next natural step. Okay. Um, And, and, you know, in terms of like planting the seed, I think a lot of parents are afraid, like, oh, I don't want to scare them and make them start to worry about these things they're not already thinking about. I promise you that many siblings are thinking about the future right? We know of even young siblings in our sib shops who say, you know, I worry about who's going to take care of my sister when we grow up, okay? So we encourage you to um, include even young siblings in those conversations about transitions, all right? Um, And to ask them what their dreams are for the future. Um, And in terms of dreaming too big, for the purposes of this process, we want you to dream big, okay? Um, because again, we're creating a goal, a target that we're working towards, right? If we don't identify what that dream is really clearly, and if we don't identify what that nightmare is, it's hard for us to take steps that are going to get us closer to one and farther from the other, right? So we really want to be clear in identifying those. Here are some quotes from some families who've been through the future planning process. Our dreams, dream the highest you can. Through dreams, we find the seeds to make them come true. A dream is like a goal for the future. I dream that my child will live a safe and healthy life. Nightmares. My nightmare is that my child would not be taken care of in the event of my death. Fear of becoming ill myself. 
finances, weightless, and if the person to succeed me dies too. It's a nightmare and a dream. He dreams so big and it's a nightmare that I can't fulfill the dream. Okay, so think about these quotes and think about how important they are to keep in mind and to keep in sight as we are taking steps and planning for the future care of the person um, with a disability. Um, so when we talk about future planning, there are a few different components that we consider um, as we're planning for the good life, right? That's what we all want. We all want a good life for ourselves. And especially we want a good life for the people we love, including our loved ones, of course, who have disabilities. Um, so we ask uh, through our future planning process to consider, first of all, what's the person going to do during the day, right? Will they have a job? Will they be part of a day program? Maybe will they volunteer somewhere, right? And we have a whole process for how we sort of come to some ideas about what that what that day-to-day -day might look like, okay? Housing, that's a big one. Michelle mentioned earlier, there are some really great organizations out there doing great work in the area of housing, um, as well as employment and day activities. Housing is a big one though. I happen to know in Texas, the wait list for housing services, residential services for people with disabilities is like 10 to 15 years, okay? So if you are thinking about, if you're not sure if your child is young or your loved one is maybe a teenager or a young adult, and it's just, you're so far from even being ready to even entertain the idea of them having their own independent housing, fear not, you have a lot of time <laughs> to get used to the idea. We want you to start planning now so that you have a choice 10 years from now or 15 years from now, right? Legal planning and financial planning, like the work that um, Consolidated Planning Group does. Um, financial planning is hugely, hugely important. And the one thing that I've learned about financial planning, um, especially for a loved one with a disability, is that um, people of all, um, levels of income and walks of life can successfully do financial planning to really set up a secure future for your loved one, right? You don't have to make a million dollars a year to be able to do this. Financial planners like Michelle and her teammates at Consolidated Planning Group, they will be able to show you what some benefits and resources are, but also how to make the most with what you have. And that's like the last financial planning advice I will give you because it's not my strong suit. <laughs> Ask my husband. He's the financial planner in our, in our family. Another important thing to think about, um, and this is really where siblings come into play, um, is who will be the keeper of the dream? Okay, so think about a few slides ago. We want you to identify what that dream is. Who's going to help you ensure that that dream becomes a reality? Who is the person or people who will help to support your loved one? And I really, I probably should highlight people because um, it is much, uh, let's see, how can I say this? You will have a much more robust support network um, if you have more than one person, right? If everything falls on one person's shoulders, that's a lot of responsibility. Um, it's a lot of pressure. And it's also, um, a lot of putting your eggs into one basket, right? So when we were going through future planning, for example, um, first of all, 
you know, we thought about uh, having my brother, you know, live with me and my now husband, uh, which he clearly, my brother clearly said like, thanks, but no thanks. But, you know, we thought about it more and we didn't want that either because we didn't want my brother to just have us, right? Because what if something happened to us? Then we're in the same scenarios we were in with our parents, right? To rely just on two people. We also talked about, um, you know, what role was I going to play? What aspects of care could I take on? As I just said, I'm not a financial planner. So it was quickly decided, I quickly said like, I will support Peter in a number of ways, but I'm not the finance person. I, that's just not my strength. Um, so think about what role and what roles you want these people to play. What aspects of care will they take on? A lot easier to divide and conquer, right? A lot easier to delegate pieces of it to different people, again, so that you have a stronger support network, but you're also not putting so much onto one person. Um, uh, and, and when we talk about involving siblings in the process, as we did in my family, it was so important for me to have a voice and some choices along the way as to how I wanted to support my brother in the future. Um, because here's the deal, here's the reality, here's the secret. Most of us siblings, we will by default become a caregiver in some way, shape or form. We are much more likely to come to that role willingly and enthusiastically if we are given some choices along the way and if we have a voice along the way and if we are provided with information along the way, right? So it's not just this um, situation that our sibling JF from a few slides ago found herself in that she's kind of left holding the bag without having any information, right? Even though her parents did so many things right, they didn't talk with her about it. Um, think about not only who you want to help support, but how are you gonna ask them to help? How will they stay informed about and connected to your family and to your loved one in an ongoing way, even before they're called upon to assist? Right, and this is something really important that we're gonna talk about on the next slide when we talk about our circles of support, but it's much easier, right, to ask someone to help if they're already involved in your loved one's life, in your child's life. Um, and I will give you a good example from a, a friend of mine in Michigan, she's a sibling. Um, she has a sister with a disability. They are now, um, gosh, they're probably now in their, close to 50, um, but probably starting about 20 years ago. So this is, um, my friend's name is Angela and she, uh, her, her mom raised her and her sister who has a disability, single mom. And um, about every three months or so, they get together. They've been doing this for 20 years. They get together. So it's mom, Angela and her sister. They get together with all their girlfriends, right? Um, some aunts, um, some other strong women friends. Every three months, they get together on a Saturday night. They have wine and cheese and they hang out and they talk about what's going on in each other's lives, including Angela's sister. She's part of that circle, right? And so when Angela um, thinks about and talks about and plans for the future, she has a whole group of women who she can call upon to help, right? Because these are people who are involved in her life and her sister's life, 
It's not going to be the last minute emergency phone call. I desperately need your help. I know we haven't spoken for 15 years, um, but I really need your help with my sister, right? And these people are invested in her life and in her sister's life because they've developed relationships. And that's really the last bullet, bullet here. Um, they have strengthened those connections and they've encouraged reciprocity. And by reciprocity, I mean um, people with disabilities giving back in those relationships, right? We're so used to thinking about all the things we do for our loved ones with disabilities. Um, are we providing them with opportunities to give back, right? Um, Angela's sister is very much part of that community and loves to give people advice and to, um, you know, share her talents. She makes little crafts and she'll often make little, um, little uh, party favors, you know, for people to take home with them, right? So how can you encourage that reciprocity? This brings us to our uh, next slide, which is to think about our circles of support. And, um, all of us have circles of support. This is a really great activity to do for yourself. I love to do this for yourself, right? For all of us. And also for your loved one with a disability. Um, and when we think about circles of support, we think about having many layers of this circle. It kind of looks like a bullseye. I recognize that. Um, many different layers to the circle that represent different levels of relationships in our lives, right? Different levels of closeness that people have to us. So in that center, in the white, there's us. There's all of us dancing in the middle. Here we are. Um, in that white circle with us are our very close relationships, family members right? Um, uh, extended family members who might be super close. Really, 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 um, if you have a really good friend who you almost consider like a, like a sibling, right? They might be in that very inner circle. Um, circle two, friendship. So our, our good friends, our close friends, right? People who we could um, call in the middle of the night, right? Um, hopefully we don't have to do that, but people who we can really count on, right? We can call them in the middle of the night um, and ask for help if we needed it. Um, circle three represents clubs and memberships. So maybe we belong to a rotary club or a line dancing club or a running club, right? In New York, my husband and I belong to a running club. Um, and many of those, many of those orange level people <coughs> Um, eventually became, um, were drawn into that yellow circle and became friends, not only to us, but also to my brother. Um, circle four, this, these are relationships that provide minimal support or maybe they're paid relationships. And for our loved ones with disabilities, oftentimes staff fall into this last layer, right? The staff who care for our loved ones. Um, and it's really helpful because I think as we fill out these circles and you write the names of people who fall into these circles in your life and in your loved one's life, what we typically notice is a couple of things. First of all, that as busy parents of children with support needs, many of us find that the relationships that used to be in that yellow circle, right, move farther and farther away out to the outer levels because we're just so busy caring for our child, aren't we, right? We've, we've lost touch with folks. We have not nurtured those relationships that are so healthy and helpful for us. 
because we've been so busy taking care of someone else. So we kind of look at this as an opportunity to like reevaluate that and to say, hey, maybe, maybe it's not such a bad thing to invest in those relationships that nurture and energize me, right? Because it strengthens my ability to care for my child. Um, the other thing that we notice when we do this activity for the person with a disability is that a lot, most of those relationships are going to fall either in the very center, so our, our loved one's relationships with us, with family members, or probably in that circle three or four, right? And a lot of times the person with a disability, right, will say, oh, I have lots of friends. My staff are my friends, right? And it's very important to recognize that while they may be friendly and helpful, right? These are paid relationships, right? These are not people who will long-term be part of the support network. So, so when we think about future planning, we need to think about trying to fill in those inner circles as much as we can, okay? So after this webinar, go call a friend you haven't talked to in a while, right? And invite them to lunch and go hang out. Do something fun, I imagine. Do something fun. Okay, and then finally, when we're thinking about future planning, um, what, what are the really important things that future caregivers need to know? And this process is so important to include the input of all family members, including the person with the disability, including siblings, because we all have different perspectives on what's important, don't we? Right. We all have and we all have different information, information to share. So medical information, super important. Um, education history. What services are in place? Right. What waivers do you have? Where's all that documentation? Um, estate and legal plans. Right. Who's going to be your trustee or an advisor or a guardian? Right. A lot of people talk about guardianship. We have to get guardianship. Well, Guess what? Guardianship is not a one-size-fits-all scenario, right? And any legal, um, any attorney who specializes in um, special needs planning will tell you that. Anyone who's who knows what they're doing will tell you that guardianship is is uh, not a, a not a solution for every family, right? It's not a situation that's going to be right for every family because the truth is that you know, guardianship takes away some fundamental rights for people with disabilities. And so when you're talking about guardianship, you want to put um, plans in place that will be help secure and create a safe and healthy environment for the person with a disability, but also enable them to have as much independence as possible, right? So a good legal planner will help you, a good uh, attorney will help you sort of navigate that and figure out what guardianship um, means and, and what the ideal situation is for your family. And then um, last but not least, the bullet that I'm least qualified to talk about, but I'm in good hands here with Michelle and her team, um, the financial plans, right? What trusts have you put in place? Do you have a rep payee maybe for government benefits? What is your bank info? Like where are those accounts and how do we access them? Um, and then taxes could also be a consideration. And we strongly encourage families to put together a letter of intent. And um, we have a format that we use that we really like. Um, I'm happy to send it to you all if you are interested in um, just having that letter of intent. Uh, but it's a really a good place, or you could probably Google letter of intent and come up with something. It's not a legal document. It is really just a roadmap um, for future planning. It's a place where you can put all of this information and other information 
um, so that you, you have it all in one place. Maybe it's a binder. Um, it's probably also a file on your computer because the thing about the letter of intent is that you want to be able to update it and change it as your life changes and evolves. Um, a letter of intent is a really, really powerful tool, not only to help you focus your information and get it all in one place, but to share it with siblings, with aunts and uncles and good friends who are going to help to care for your loved one, with service providers, right? Maybe your child will move into a group home or their own supportive apartment, and you want that letter of intent to go with them so that whoever is caring for them, we know there's a lot of turnover, right, in, in service providers, that letter of intent serves as a guide, right, um, for anyone caring for your child to know what's important. Another thing I love about the letter of intent is that um, it has a place to talk about, you know, family traditions and customs, like how do we celebrate birthdays, right? What is your loved one's favorite holiday? And how do they celebrate that? These, these important things that, you know, are not just, uh, you know, statistics on a piece of paper, but that really paint a picture of who this person is. Um, I see in the chat, there's a question, what about power of attorney and will? Absolutely, those are all really important things to talk about with a trusted attorney um, who specializes, right? What should be in that letter of intent? Again, so everything you see on that screen, medical information, education history, services, estate and legal plans, financial planning, um, some of the information about employment, um, skills and interests of the person, any day activities that are important. Oh, you know, my son really loves to volunteer once a week, you know, uh, doing, uh, you know, serving breakfast to seniors at the senior center. Um, important things that really paint a picture of who that person is. Religion, religious preferences and practices. Um, yeah, Emily. All of those have, things. Uh, we have done entire webinars about the letter of intent. And I, I come to, I, I have a background in education. I used to be an English teacher. I know that writing something like this can be especially intimidating, not just because of the subject matter, but because of, oh, I'm sitting down to write something that someone else is going to read. And my suggestion from my English teaching point of view is yes, do it on a Word document or something that is going to be easy to edit as your family grows and evolves. It's very important. Start with the facts, like the things that are listed on this and other things will come to you. You know, oh, you know, Jacob will really melt down if you try to feed him spaghetti. He hates it. He will not eat it. You'll think the world is coming to an end. Um, if he's having a really bad day, here's how, here's some ideas how you can turn that around. Here's some things that he really loves. Here's our birthday breakfast tradition, because when his birthday comes, if you do not get up and make him blue pancakes, he's going to think that it's not his birthday or something's wrong or you're mad at him. So you have to have those things written out, but it truly will start to flow once you get started. So the most important thing is just to start. Print your most updated version and have it somewhere where people can find it um, and then leave it, you know, go back to it in six months or every couple months and find some things that need to be updated and just always print the most updated version and have that available.
I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Michelle. I love that example too of the blue pancakes or the spaghetti. And earlier when I said, first of all, these should be family discussions. Like every family member, sit down as a family together and talk about this. Like this is, this is where it can kind of be fun, right? And to involve siblings, even young siblings and say, hey, what is really important for anyone to know about Jacob, right? Like we want to write a story and we want to write a story that anyone can read and understand who Jacob is, right? And so the blue pancakes is a great example. And it's kind of, I mean, maybe funny to think about, um, gosh, well, if we really don't like someone, let's ask them to give Jacob spaghetti one night, right? Like see what happens to them. I mean, yeah. no, that's like kind of mean. It's a little mean, but you know, have fun with it. Like, you know, we, I think anyone who has a loved one with a disability might agree with my statement that we tend to have a unique, if not slightly twisted sense of humor, right? When it comes to um, just some of the funny things that we encounter in our lives. Yeah. And, you know, we need to capture that, that humor and um, make sure that that is part of the process because, um, you know, we want to capture that part of our families and our loved ones moving forward. Like, you know, we're, these are human beings who like have a sense of humor and who um, understand that life is not going to go 100% the way we want it to all the time. But we want everyone to move forward in good faith that we're doing the best we can to support our loved one. And then last but not least, I love this quote so much from Eleanor Roosevelt. The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. And I think that this is really the cornerstone of future planning um, for all of us, right? As we sit together as families, as a group of people who don't always agree on everything maybe, but who at the end of the day, love each other and support each other um, and want the best for the future for each and every one of us, right? Believing in our, in our dreams and believing that somehow we can get there right, or as close as we can, um, is really, really a powerful motivator and an important thing to remember as we move forward with future planning. Um, if anyone has questions, there's our website. You can find my email address in the About Us section. I'm always happy to um, connect if you're looking for resources for young siblings in your community. Um, I would love to connect. So thank you so much to Michelle and to well, Allison and to everyone. More, yeah, I have a few more things to go over. So don't run away quite yet. And this is the perfect chance for you to get questions for Emily put into the chat box while I finish up my last few slides. And then we'll go over those last few questions. Um, so Emily, if you don't mind going to the next one, these we do webinars like this one every week. Um, well, almost every week, but generally two to four webinars a week. And they're always free. They live on our YouTube channel. If you miss one or if the noon hour or the hour that we do it is not good for you, you can go back and watch them at 2 a.m. That's that's fine. Um, but we talk about things like a comprehensive pl care plan, um, the future care cost estimates, the waiver programs and how to make sure you're on the list and, and what that even is, what benefits are available, uh, how to apply for SSI and SSDI and know the difference and uh, make sure that you're getting the full amount that you should be. 
We help people with ABLE accounts and beneficiary designations, the special needs trust and how to, you know, we're not attorneys. We won't set up a trust for you or do guardianship or a will, but we understand those things and we can tell you what you need to do. And we can refer you to great special needs focused attorneys who will help you with those things. Um, the ABLE account and the special needs trust are two places where you can have money for your child or, or they can have money that won't jeopardize their benefits. And we understand how that all works. We help you understand that. Uh, we talked about residential living communities, guardianship and alternative to guardianship um, and the post high school educational options. We help people with all of these things. Um, on the next slide, you'll see um, we have just one link, just a link to our upcoming webinars. And when you get these slides later on today, you can just click there. It will take you to all of our upcoming webinars. Um, and like I said, if you've missed one that sounds interesting to you, you can see that on our YouTube channel. The next slide is our team. We're based just outside of Houston, Texas. Um, two husband and wife teams, those are our advisors. So it's Allison and her husband, Jeff. They have two daughters with uh, special needs. And then there's myself and my husband, Andy. We have two sons. They're 22 and 19. Um, so we've all been through parenting. We've all come from different backgrounds and we all bring our areas of expertise. And then we have a fantastic operations staff who help with appointments and making calls and advertising and marketing and making sure we get all of our paperwork done. Um, in the next few days, because you registered for this webinar with your phone number and email address, these four smiling faces uh, and myself and Andy are going to be reaching out to you. Um, we're friendly. We don't bite. I promise. Don't hang up on us. We're just doing our jobs. We're going to call and see if you had any additional questions after viewing this webinar or if you would like to make an appointment with us to um, just have a free consultation. The next slide, this is your secret. If you do not want us to call you, it's super easy. Just make an appointment before we do it. <laughs> you can use the QR code. You can call us or email us. Our appointments run about 45 minutes to half an hour to 45 minutes. We want to hear about you and what you're going through and answer your questions. What is keeping you up at night? Um, after we get through that, we want to tell you a little bit more about us and how we work and what we charge. And we'll decide together if it's appropriate for us to continue in a working relationship. Um, if you're interested in working with us and if we think that we can help you, we'll go from there. So it's low key, no pressure. Um, and like I said, about half an hour to 45 minutes for that free appointment. Uh, this page also features our links for YouTube, Instagram, our podcast, if you prefer to listen instead of watch these webinars, and our Facebook page. And the last thing I'll say is, again, if you're listening on the podcast, thank you for being here, but you can get a copy of these slides sent to you or any of the slides from any of our webinars by emailing us contact at cpgcares.net. All right, so I don't see any other questions that have come through, but I really appreciate everyone for taking the time to be here with us today. 
Emily, this topic is so important, and I think you explain things in such a great way with the examples that you shared. I really appreciate you being here with us today. Um, and with that, I will just say goodbye. Reach out to us if you need anything. If you have any questions, you will get our contact information in an email later on today. So we are always here for you. Have a great, great week. Enjoy your weekend. I know it's it's a few more days away, but we're getting there. Thank you so much for being with us today. Bye, everybody. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.